This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in the book of Numbers. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Last episode, we covered two chapters, chapters 30 and 31. Well, in chapter 30, there were some interesting details about the vows the Israelites took to God. Specifically, there were rules about when and who could break a vow. Most of these pertain to women because if they took a vow, it could affect their fathers or their husbands. Then in chapter 31 was the story of God's revenge on the Midianites for their part in enticing the Israelites to worship the god Baal. The devastation to the Midianites was complete. The possession of goods from the victory was documented in this chapter of Numbers. Exactly, because they're into numbers. They like to document all those numbers in this book. Okay, this week begins the last five chapters of numbers. We are in the home stretch and Moses is going to focus on the division of the land. These are not chapters often taught in church. So kudos to you if you are on a journey with us to conquer every word and page of the Bible. The value in reading these words lies in the foundation they provide for understanding Israel's frustrating future in the promised land. So if you stick with us through these, again, it'll pay off when we get into judges and things really go awry for the Israelites. And not just Israel's future, but the future of each individual tribe, because each tribe has its own story to tell. The tribes developed from 12 brothers, the sons of Jacob, and each brother has a personality. As a result, the tribes named after the brother that they um, are named after (laughs) are personified, each with its own weakness and strength, faithlessness and faithfulness. So they're kind of fun to track with. As our story progresses through the Old Testament, the character of the tribes will become more important and the battle to remain faithful more fierce. So chapter 32 is the story of two of the tribes who stopped short of God's promises. This is a lesson for all of us. How have you settled for something that was short of God's plan for you? This is the story of the tribes who settled outside of the promised land. Chapter 32, the Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. Now, if you've been with us since season one, Genesis 13, you might be having deja vu. So let me jog your memory with this verse from chapter 13. It says this, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot looked around and saw the world through his eyes, not God's. What he saw looked good to him. So he left Abraham and God's plan and created his own plan. The Reubenites, Gadites, and we will find out soon, half the tribe of Manasseh, are doing the same thing as Lot. They are looking through their eyes instead of God's eyes. They are making their own plans instead of following God's plans, and they want to settle for less than God's best for them. 
True, it does say that their herds were larger and they needed more land, but had they settled for the promised land, how they had they pushed on to what God promised, they would have found that God had a plan for that too and would have provided for them in the promised land. Now, some commentaries speculate another reason for why they were pushing for this, and it starts with the Reubenites, possibly might have been grasping for more because their forefather, Reuben, was the firstborn of Jacob. Why do the firstborns always get a bad rap? Well, in this story, they do, but not always. So in this case, the sons of Reuben should have received the first share of the land and a double portion. And there, and the commentaries state that maybe this is why they, as the leaders, were kind of pushing for this bigger land portion because they thought they were do it. But the problem was their founder, Reuben, the son of Jacob named Reuben, lost that right as the firstborn when he slept with his father, Jacob's concubine in Genesis 35. So that's just another speculation of the commentaries. I don't know if it's true or not, so that, but it so, could be. So you're saying this could be the manifestation of the consequence of that sin that their father, Well, the tribe may have, may have still carried forward that we're the firstborn of Jacob's sons. Therefore, we should be the mm-hmm. greatest tribe. We can't help that our forefathers did this, but we want more land because we have bigger herds. Therefore, we're great. It might have been some kind of little thing in the back of their mind that they deserve more. They have more, they have more flocks. And therefore, because their forefather was a firstborn, we're going to pick our own land and we want more. We want more. We should have more. We want more. The question is, what about you? When you look at the world, what do you see? What does it make you want? Are you creating your own plan or are you following God's plan? Oftentimes creating my own plan. (laughs) I know. Guilty. Guilty. (laughs) Guilty. I look up and I see and I I try to follow God's plan (laughs) and I try to listen to everything that he's telling me to do when I'm reading my Bible that morning and then I go about my day and if I'm honest (laughs) and I look back, I've followed a lot of my own plan. I'm with you. Well, continuing on then in verse two. (laughs) So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the community, and said, Adaroth, Dizbon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elie, Sibam, Nebu, and Beon, the land of the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. So the, the Reubenite and Gadite tribe leaders approach Moses. And at the very least, they did the right thing by taking it to Moses. Like they they went to him and their words and tone seem humble and gracious. Moses' reaction does not um, take that into consideration, though, because Moses has deja vu and responds with anger. Verse 6, Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them to Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. 
after they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not one except Caleb, son of Juphanah, and the Canaanite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all his people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. Moses hits the roof. That was quite a lecture. (laughs) That was quite a lecture. And I don't blame him. He had really good reason. I mean, 40 years in the desert, I'd have PTSD and this kind of thing would trigger me. And he is surely triggered here. You know, his anger is based on watching the Israelites disobey God for decades. They were behaving, this new generation, because, you know, this is the new generation, were behaving just like their parents. And Moses didn't have 40 more years to wander in the desert again because of their disobedience. He was getting old and he knew it. Their request also may have touched a really personal nerve with Moses. Think about it. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. Maybe it made him angry that the people who were allowed to be part of the promise didn't even want it. They're like backing out. Two whole tribes are backing out. He's like, I would I would give anything give if anything. I could go in there <laughs> and here in. you are asking. No, well, yes. can, we just stay here? can we stay here? We like it here. Yeah. That any tribe should consider settling outside the land promised to Abraham showed a disturbing lack of faith and indifference to being part of the great nation Israel. And of course, Moses, again, is triggered. He's thinking, oh my gosh, is God going to come down in his wrath? You know, lastly, Moses was probably panicked by their rejection of the promised land. What if this new generation was going to be just as bad as that first one? the old generation. Would God give a third generation a chance? Or was all of Moses's hard work in getting them to this point? Uh, Remember, they're right across the Jordan River from Jericho. They are looking at the promised land. Was all of it for nothing? Because Israel was never going to make it if they continue with this kind of attitude. So Moses gives two very clear accusations to them. The first accusation is this. This is desertion. They would be deserting the army of Israel, which they had been trained for, remember? They are abandoning their people, Israel. God's purpose in bringing them out of Egypt was to bring them to the promised land and make them into a great nation. But they are going to have to fight to get the land. These two and a half tribes, because Manasseh is going to join them, half of Manasseh, would have had in total over 100,000 soldiers. If they desert... With 100,000, the other tribes will fear that they are not strong enough to overcome the Canaanites. And we have a repeat of what happened with the first generation where they all panicked and said, we're never going to defeat these giants. Now, the second accusation that he makes is this. 
This is a repeated sin. This is what their fathers did 40 years ago. In Numbers 13, Moses sent a leader from each tribe to explore the land. All but two of those dozen leaders lost faith and wanted to abort the plan to attract the Canaanites. They were just too scared. They whined and wished they had died in the desert. And that really ticked God off because he had brought them out of Egypt. And so now they're wishing they had died in the desert. And so God granted their wish. The entire adult population of that first generation died as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. All that to say, I totally get Moses hitting the roof and being really angry with them to the point that he calls them a brood of sinners. Well, we can see where this is going. Let's keep going. Verse 16. (laughs) Then they came up to him and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in the fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. So here they're just kind of like justifying, like mm-hmm. they get a no and then they keep going. Oh, yeah. So the people respond by pressing in and they build a case. They draw nearer. It, it literally says, then they came, came up to him. They draw nearer to Moses. They press in and they reassure him that they intend to fight. And even offer to go first in battle. Not only are you going to fight, send us in first. We're all in. We're going to make sure you get the promised land. But we're going to leave our women and our livestock here. We're going to build pens for them. And they clarify that this land on the wrong side of the Jordan will count as their inheritance. So we're going to build our pens here, leave our women and children here. We're going to go into battle first. We're going to fight for you guys. And hey, you don't even have to give us any land on the other side of the Jordan. Um, so more for the for everybody else. It's almost like you kind of picture the other leaders listening in and going, hey, okay, good, Moses, more for us. Yeah, let it. them stay over here. So here's the, here's the lesson for us. Life is about choices. We've talked about this so many times through Genesis. And wise choices are made by listening to those we trust as godly advisors, even when what they say is not what we want to hear. Moses had earned the position as trusted godly leader, and they should have listened to him, but they did not. They they leaned in with what, what they wanted. They were convinced they knew what was best for them. Note to us, we all have the same propensity to think we know what is best for us and that no one else could ever know better. And we are wrong. God always knows what's best. He sees through different eyes. We see through the world's eyes. We look up and see what's around us. But God sees from a a totally different level than we do. He's looking down on his plan for the world and he knows what's better. Verse 20, then Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him, 
Then, when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your women and children and pens for your flocks, but do what you have promised." The Gadites and Reubenites said to Moses, We, your servants, will do as the Lord commands. Our children and wives, our flocks and herds, will remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants, every man who is armed for battle, will cross over and fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. Lots of great commentary on this, because what's missing in this compared to past things is there is no anger from the Lord. So we have to ponder, did Moses have a conversation with God? Was God like, I'm going to let this happen because it's going to expand my territory, or I'm going to let this happen for whatever reason. But Moses concedes. Now, he, do, he concedes with this very serious warning. He concedes by personifying sin. He says, if these tribes fail, their sin will look for and find them. It's a threat. God personified sin in a similar way in Genesis 4, 6, when he said to Cain after Cain had killed his brother, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That is a serious warning. It's almost like understanding that sin chases us. It's not this kind of um, abstract thing that we choose to do. It actually is looking for opportunity in us. Moses is like a parent who realizes that sometimes you have to let your children suffer natural consequences from their actions. He made it clear that these tribes were making the wrong choice, but he allowed it. And these tribes, they will be faithful to fight the Canaanites as they promised, but they will not prosper as they should have. Their halfway commitment to Israel, in other words, I'll go fight for Israel, but then I'm coming back to the land I want, was a sign of their half-hearted character. Remember in the beginning, I talked about the tribes having these characteristics that we will find carry through to the end. And because they lacked zeal for God, they easily fell prey to their immediate self-satisfaction rather than waiting for what was better, the promised land. They chose to live on the fringe of Israel and their distance from the promised land made them prone to the influence of their Canaanite neighbors. These tribes will be among the first tribes to fall. Note for us, there are always consequences when you step out of God's will, and that's what they're doing. And another note, people with a strong faith don't settle for what they see. They wait for what is better. So the question is, are you prone to stepping out of God's will to get or to do what you want? Or have you mastered waiting for what is better, God's will? Next, Moses lays down the rules for the outsiders. And that's what these two tribes are now, outsiders. Verse 28, then Moses gave orders about them to Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun and to the family heads of the Israelite tribes. He said to them, if the Gadites and Reubenites, every man armed for battle, cross over the Jordan with you before the Lord, then when the land is subdued before you, you must give them the land of Gilead as their possession. But if they do not cross over with you armed, they must accept their possession with you in Canaan. 
The Gadites and Reubenites answered, Your servants will do what the Lord has said. We will cross over before the Lord into Canaan armed, but the property we inherit will be on this side of the Jordan. Then Moses gave to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of Shihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the whole land with its cities and the territory around them. The Gadites built up Dibon, Atroth, Oer, Atroth, Sophon, Jazer, Govbeth, and Nimrah, and Beth Haran as fortified cities and built pens for their flocks. And the Reubenites built Heshbon, Eliah, and Kiratam, as well as Nebo and Balmion. These names were changed, and Simba. They gave names to the cities they rebuilt. The descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, went to Gilead, captured it, and drove out the Amorites who were there. So Moses gave Gilead to the Macrites, the descendants of Manasseh, and they settled there. Jir, a descendant of Manasseh, captured their settlements and called them Havoth Jer, and Nabah captured Kena and the surrounding settlements and called it Nebo after himself. The tribe of Manasseh is introduced late in the story. It's thought that they too wanted a chance at the land before them, and half of this tribe chose to live on the wrong side of the Jordan. Moving into chapter 33. Chapter 33 is a review of the stages in Israel's journey up until this point. And they're listed in 40 different stages between Egypt and the plains of Moab. The list includes many stopping points that were not detailed in our journey thus far in Numbers or in Exodus. There are many number schemes in this list. And I mean number schemes. You know I love math, but most are too complex to even try to explain without a video for you to watch as it's charted while you listen. But I'd like to point out two number plays on this number 40, this list of cities that they must have stopped at. And again, I love math. I love the creativity of how God weaves what he does into the Bible and it plays out of numbers. And this is the book of numbers. So believe me when I tell you that it's really cool what happened in this list, even though the list for us sounds just like a list of names of cities. But first of all, there are 40 stops on this list, and it may have pointed, um, been a reminder to the Israelites of the 40 years. Although the stops do not correspond with the year, it would have been a way for them to remember because they spent 40 years in the desert, and so there were 40 stops. Second, if you count the starting point, the starting location of Ramses, and the last location of Moab, you have 42 cities listed here. Now, when these cities are arranged in in six columns of seven, remember, seven is God's number of completion. And go back and listen to Leviticus, all the, um, you know, the, the seven days of creation and then all the holidays, the Jubilee year is the seventh year. This is God's favorite number. But if you look at this, these cities arranged in six columns of seven, there are some providential patterns between the six cycles of cities that line up. It's super cool. Ultimately, this list is a record of faith, a memorial to God's blessing despite Israel's sin and repeated rejection of the Lord. God was faithful. And it should remind the Israelites how far God has brought them in bringing them to this point of the promised land 
from Egypt. So here is the first stage from Egypt to the desert of Sinai. And we have a map of this. It's map 29 in the show notes, if you've looked at it before, um, that records this stage. And and everyone's going to have to give me a little bit of grace on the pronunciation oh gosh, of all of these yes. names and places. <laughs> okay. don't, don't ever judge us for our pronunciation. Here we go. Chapter 33. Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in their journey. This is their journey by stages. The Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. They marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. So the list opens with a victory taunt to Egypt. You notice those words. They defiantly marched out. The Lord had brought judgment on them. Continuing in verse 5, the Israelites left Ramses and camped at Succoth. They left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. They left Etham, turned back to Pi-Hormah to the east of Baal-Zaphon and camped near Bingdol. They left Pi-Heroth and passed through the sea into the desert. And when they had traveled for three days in the desert of Etham, they camped at Marah. They left Marah and went to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. They left Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They left the Red Sea and camped in the desert of Sin. They left the desert of Sin and camped in Dobka. They left Dobka and camped in Alush. They left Alush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. They left Rephidim and camped near the desert of Sinai. The Israelites camp in the desert of Sinai for about 11 months. This is the stop where Moses met with God in the mountain several times and where they receive the Ten Commandments and the other laws. The second stage from Sinai to Kadesh are the decades when they wandered in the wilderness. Verse 16. They left the desert of Sinai and camped in Kibra Hatava. They left Kibra Hatava and camped in Hezroth. They left Hezroth and camped in Rithma. They left Rithma and camped at Rimon Perez. They left Rimon Perez and camped in Libanah. They left Libanah and camped in Riash. They left Riash and camped in Ketlath. They left Ketloth and camped at Mount Shefer. They left Mount Shefer and camped at Harda. They left Harda and camped at Melkoth. They left Melkoth and camped at Hatath. They left Hatath and camped at Tara. They left Tara and camped at Mikoth. They left Mikoth and camped at Hashmanoth. They left Hashmanoth and camped at Meroth. They left Meroth and camped at Bene Jakan. They left Bene Jakan and camped at Hor Hagadgad. They left Hor Hagadgad and camped at Jophanah. They left at Jophanah and camped at Abernah. They left Abernah and camped at Ezon Geber. They left Ezon Geber and camped at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Oh gosh, so many names. I'm laughing. But this was really a long time of wandering. And remember, um, this is really when they say they camped, we're moving two million people. So this is a big deal that they camped at this many places. 
states. The third stage uh, takes place from Kadesh to Moab, and that'll be map 32 in the show notes if you want to check it out. Verse 37, they left Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the border of Edom. At the Lord's command, Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor, where he died on the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. So we have a little aside here. Special attention is given to the death of Aaron and a date. It's the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year after Egypt. Note that the journey began on the 15th day of the first month of the first year. The journey from Ramses to Mount Hor completed the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Aaron's life was extended to coincide with the 40th year. Finally now, they will begin to make the move north through Edom and Moab, running parallel to Canaan until they camp across the Jordan River from Jericho. Verse 40, the Canaanite king of Arad who lived in the Gev of Canaan heard that the Israelites were coming. This short line documents the attack of King Arad and the Israelites' first victory in Numbers 21. Verse 41, they left Mount Hor and camped at Zalmanah. They left Zalmana and camped at Punun. They left Punun and camped at Uboth. They left Uboth and camped at Liabrim on the border of Moab. They left Liabrim and camped at Dibon Gad. They left Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Dalberthim. They left Almon Dalberthim and camped at the mountains of Abram near Nebo. They left the mountains of Abram and camped on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. There on the plains of Moab, they camped along the Jordan from Beth Zimoth to Albel Shittim. Almost all the commentaries consider this listing of cities as the obituary of Moses, because yes, we are preparing to lose him. And it's written by Moses, and it also summarizes the main themes for the books of Exodus and Numbers. The review of history reminds them of what they have overcome in escaping Egypt and points them to the promise for surely if God has done all this, brought them through all these cities, he would bring them home to the land he had promised. Moses is going to continue with some words of warning regarding the conquest ahead. Verse 50. On the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their carved images and their cast idols, and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Distribute the land by lot according to your clans. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance, and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Whatever falls to them by lot will will be theirs. Distribute it according to your ancestral tribes. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. So God and Moses have taken them through this kind of journey through their entire experience from Egypt, not their homeland, through all these cities, not their homeland, to this point 
where I'm about to give you your homeland. And he gives them very detailed instructions. And they're meant for this new generation. Yes, you went through, your, your parents went through all these things. They went through all these things. But here you are. Now, when you get what you finally wanted, this promised land, you must do these three things. Drive out all inhabitants of Canaan. Destroy all images and idols. And demolish all high places, which are sacred places to other gods. Three Ds there. Drive out, destroy, and demolish. That's all Moses says. Then he says, take possession of the land and distribute the land by tribe and size of clan. Final warning, if you do not do this, the people you leave in the land will be your downfall because I will do to you what I am going to do to them. Moses and God's point here is the land is God's land. He will give it and he can take it back. So you must obey. Ouch. (laughs) If the Israelites fail to obey, God will do to them what he is going to do to the Canaanites. And I feel like there's a little bit of foreshadowing here because we kind of know they're not going to always follow this. And I wonder why would they, when it was so clearly laid out, it seems like a pretty easy thing to do. We we are going into this land. We're supposed to wipe out everything and everyone, especially their temples and their gods. Why wouldn't they do it? What would be the motivation not to do that? Why don't we? That's the whole point. It, I think I think so many of the Old Testament stories show us that they sinned just as we sin. I mean, God has clearly told us what to do, but we clearly don't do it. In little ways all day long, we we sin. Um, and, and that again points to this is our human nature, why we need a savior. They needed a savior because they could not keep the law. There was just no way. I guess it's easier to see the speck in my neighbor's eye than it is to see the plank in my own. <laughs> I know, right? So true. So true. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.